Hello, this is Philip Miriton, and today we are going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution, to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. Now, later in this show, we're going to be talking to Sparrow Hart, who is the founder of Quest for Vision. But today and right now, we're going to be on the topic of ancient wisdom, real life. Now, most of us have heard about ancient wisdom. For one, this wisdom is ancient, and it's wise, which means that whoever said it was very smart, or put differently, said something that has stood the test of time. Perhaps those older, the ancient folks, were wiser than we are. Perhaps they were closer to the source of being, the true, the undulterated, the technology and distraction-free connection to what really is. But one problem we have with this ancient wisdom is applying it to daily life. But if we're ever able to reach a higher state of consciousness, of knowing and understanding what truly is, we will need to take that sense of higher consciousness out of the meditation room and apply it to daily life. And that is where today's guest comes in. Now Johanna Maska is the author of a new book called Cultivate Contentment, Ancient Wisdom for, Di for Today's World. She's an accomplished writer, yoga master, and teacher trainer. She has an extensive background in education, human resource development, and public speaking. All of her life's learning accomplishments and skill are being geared right now to pursuing her passion, which is sharing the 10 principles that will help everyone live in greater peace, harmony, and integrity. She's got a BA from Lehman College, an MA from Hunter College, and a PhD from New York University. The one other thing I would add about Johanna is that she offers a uh, set of retreats called Sedonia Spirit Yoga and Hiking Retreats, and these retreats were voted the, the number one in the 10 inspirational retreats uh, in the Sunset Magazine. Welcome to the show, Johanna. Thank you, Philip. Happy to be here. Okay, well, let's let's get going here for a second because we need to get a couple terms sort of defined to move this forward. And the two terms I want to help uh, clarify for the listeners, the first one is going to be yoga. Because most of us think, a lot of people think that yoga is some kind of exercise or body positions having to do with with purely mechanical movements of the body but in your book you you really try to dispel that notion so wh why don't you talk about the kind of yoga that you have uh, taught and and experienced uh, yes thanks yoga is defined as unity of your mind your body and your spirit so it's being fully one with yourself your mind and your body and spirit 
um, originally the yoga sutras, the wise sayings about yoga, written thousands of years before Christ, they say that there are eight limbs or prongs to yoga, and I'll tell you them very quickly. The first two prongs or limbs are five principles to get along in social harmony is one, and two is five principles for self-mastery, for being the best person you can be. Then limbs three and four are doing postures and breathing, conscious breathing. Limbs five and six, five is withdrawing the senses from the pull of outside forces, and six is concentrating within. Seven is meditation, stilling the mind in meditation, and eight is transcending the mind, which is the goal of yoga. And just a word about number seven. Meditation doesn't mean your mind is still all the time. Meditation is the act of making your mind stiller than it was. So those are the eight limbs of yoga. So you can see that postures is simply the third one, and it's a whole wide world of of consciousness yoga is. Yeah, and I think that's important because, again, yoga is sort of a holistic way, in my mind, of getting in touch or improving your ability to get in touch with some kind of underlying unity or some kind of underlying movement flow uh, to the world. And, and uh, a problem I think we have in the, in the Western mindset is applying these Eastern concepts to our daily lives. Because it's, you know, we have this real problem of, of folks, whether they go to the meditation room, whether they watch Oprah, or whether they uh, or think before they go to bed, of actually taking these principles and applying them to our lives. And, and I think it's so important to try to get practical, to try to get down to earth with these principles, and and be, and but before we we talk about some of your tips, uh, I I, I want to talk about this this concept of ancient wisdom, and and what what led you to get interested in ancient wisdom, and how would you define that term? Um, essentially, when we do the yoga teacher training, and I've done many. They, they give us different scriptures that yoga is based on. And one of them is the Yoga Sutras. A sutra, the definition of sutra means a, a short, pithy, wise saying. The Yoga or Threads of Wisdom. The Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And always in the yoga, they teach these little ten principles. They just mention them at the beginning. Um, it, it, for some reason, it's become a passion of mine because I believe if the world followed, you know, a heightened integrity, we would all be accessing the higher consciousness together right. for the highest good of all. And I just want to mention a brief bit of the ancient wisdom. So the yogis talked two Sanskrit words, and you don't have to remember them. <laughs> just, one is called the Purusha. The Purusha is the God-beingness, the all-oneness of the world. And Prakriti is all the natural things that you can touch with your five senses. And the ancients believed that the divine beingness or the purusha or the oneness is in each of us. It's inside of us. It's that peace of God that we are inside. And truly, when the purpose of yoga is to transcend the mind, it's to get 
into the part of yourself where you connect to the all-beingness and the divine energy of everything. And the ancients say that it's in every plant, every insect, every rock, every tree. It's, it's the godliness of everything, and we are all one. And that's one, one point I tried to make in the introduction, which I, which I believe in, by the way, is that there is this problem we have in our modern world, which is, which is related to distractions and it, such things as earning a living, uh, paying bills, dealing with TVs, computer monitors, and PDAs. And we sometimes just flow right by uh, the what is really important and the ancient uh, principles that you that you that you've touched upon to me they're important because they're true and if they're true then we should be devoting more of our daily lives to implementing them and and, and in in even a different way to put this is that is that if we are really going to be better people, better creatures, rise to a higher level of consciousness, a higher level of being, then it's, it's, it's really our, our duty, our obligation, and, and our, our requirement in order to um, implement these ideas, not just think about them, not just read about them. And, and, and so I take it that at some point in your training or education, something clicked into you where, where you said, well, I need to move beyond uh, being in academia or academia and being a teacher trainer to doing what you're doing now. What, what, what triggered that movement for you? Um, first, in response to what you're saying, for me, the metaphor is the tennis racket. When I follow these principles of integrity, my life works. You know, it, it rocks. It's as if all the shots hit the center of my tennis racket and everything's flowing smoothly. When I violate, if I violate some of these principles, you know, something's off. I go, what just happened? Why am I feeling troubled by this? It's I violated one of those principles. So it's, it's, that, it's actually that strong for me. Um, that's good. That's good. So nothing, there was no significant event in my life that brought this, except when I read it, it was an aha. I used to camp at Mount Shasta in my van. I'm, I'm a little older now, but I'm still a roadie. I love to take a road trip and put a futon in the back of my van and have a little oil lamp. And I was reading a tarot uh, book. I picked a tarot card, and it had a description of the card, and it had reflection questions and affirmations. So my first book, it just it came to me like, you know, if you're old enough to know Groucho Marx's chicken coming down, <laughs> it just came to me like an idea of shooting down. Yeah. You can do this with the yoga principles. So for each yoga principle, I wrote a, a little prayer, a description, reflection questions for how you're living it in your life, and some affirmations. And I made 3,000 copies of the book, self-published, and it sold out. And I had to make 5,000 more. That's how popular it became with making the ancient wisdom, you know, popular and user-friendly. And how does this affect me? Um, you know, where in my life am I being truthful? Where am I not? Where in my life am I being contented? And where am I sabotaging myself? No, that's really good. And I, I sort of come to the to the realization that, the 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 moral component plays off of the consciousness component uh, 
in, in the sense that these are not just mechanical rules. And I think your tennis racket metaphor is a good one. In, in, because it's not just a mechanical rule such as, you know, it, and no offense anybody, you know, say, uh, repeat the rosary, you know, 10 times a day and you'll, and you'll go to heaven. It's not just repeating sayings or prayers. It's really acting and thinking consistent with 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 sort of the underlying flow with and I'm and I'm, and I'm using that term I could also use the way uh, you know the oneness there's all sorts of other terms that you know that we could use and to to bring it more down to earth but but it helps you live a better life and it helps you become happier now now in your in your book you use this concept of the monkey mind which I thought was original and and just just to sort of have a segue here, two shows ago we had a show on evolution, and so I think talking about the monkey mind is 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 proper here in a, in a, in a odd kind of way because the purpose of that show was to talk about the missing links in evolution and creationism. So so in any event, why don't you talk about the monkey mind and how you came up with that and what that means? Well, it. Um, it's not my um, my verbiage. It's actually in yoga they teach us to distinguish between the monkey mind and the higher self. And it's kind of an Indian metaphor because a lot of monkeys there. You see them <laughs> swinging from trees, jumping around, uh, you know, creating havoc, messing things up. So our monkey mind stands for our automatic mind. It's almost group think. And some of the thoughts in the monkey mind are not even ours. They're inculcated from the culture and absorbed from the workplace and whatever. So, um, you know, in my book, I put a chart saying, which do you spend more time focusing on, your monkey mind or your core essence? And your core essence is your soul essence, your higher self. So the monkey mind is it's like your ego. It, it, it jumps all over the place, outward looking, seeks approval, creates separation like it's me versus them, competes, likes conflict, makes judgmental comparisons, takes everything personally, reacts often without thinking. It's doubtful, it's insecure, it's defensive, it holds blame and resentment. It stresses the reason why not, and it's contracted and closed. It has your scarcity perspective, needs to control things and is grievance-oriented. Something's wrong, missing, wanting something. Resists the flow of events, focuses on the past and the future rather than now, and has scattered attention, generates suffering, and the motto of your monkey mind is it's not good enough. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's good. So basically, it's, it sounds to me like everybody has a monkey mind somewhere. It's, 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 it's a natural part of being human. It's worse than that. People identify with it, and they think they are their monkey mind. Not only do we have it, but some of us have it, and we know we have it. We're senior to it, and we see when we lapse into it, and we help ourselves get out of it through meditation or whatever else. But some of us Archie Bunker it and think we are that monkey mind, that that's exactly it. Yeah, and I have a funny feeling that those who latch on to the monkey mind and think that that's all there is are sort of doomed to sort of a, how can I put this, a uh, superficial or shallow, shallow existence. 
one would one would you know you know the metaphor of Archie Bunker. You know what I mean? You, yeah. you watch television, you go to work, and then you retire, and what we're going to eat, and you you know what I yeah. mean, kind of like that. And and it's a lot of separation. You know, whereas you know your higher self sees the unity and the communion, and it's confident and it's it's inward looking. Um, has an expanded abundance consciousness, accepts things, uh, appreciates differences instead of uh, being fearful of them, focuses on the present, a centered awareness, and it cultivates contentment. So the motto of your, your higher self is, it's all good, I can work with this, it's all good, what do I need to shift? Right. So, so, so how, does one, how does one sort of beat back the monkey mind? Well, that's the thing we're learning in yoga. Beating back anything doesn't work, right. okay? So it's like all these people that are fighting war, right. Right. <laughs> fighting for peace. Right. To not fight for anything, to recognize when it's there, make friends with it. And, uh, you know, some of the, the gifted ancient yogis, they would ask the question, who's speaking now? And know when, know when it's your, your insufficient self speaking or it's your higher self speaking. So the idea is to learn to recognize it, make friends with it, uh, bypass it. Make any sense? Because you're going to have to live with it. Like, you know, I'm over 60. I've been doing yoga for a long, long time. My monkey mind still did not go away. I can get the same little B17 plugged into or pressed. And then I just notice it more quickly. And uh, if I went there for a few seconds, I get out of it quickly and I don't stay there. I use what I wrote in the book that I called my four Ds, which maybe we can mention later. Yeah, but the, this is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're talking to Johanna Mosca about her book, Cultivate Contentment. And we're about to talk about the, what, what she calls the four D's for transforming upsets. Now, now in your book, you have a lot of real down-to-earth ex, uh, um, examples of applying these principles. And a classic one, which shows how mundane some of this stuff is, is waiting in line, uh, a long line at, at like Walgreens or a drugstore or something, and sort of getting irritated with the cashier who you believe or we believe is not running, you know, running through those transactions fast enough. And and I and and maybe maybe you could talk about how that simple example can be used to apply uh, your your principles here. Thank you. Well, the first principle, the umbrella principle, is compassion, uh, unconditional love for yourself and everyone else. So um, these uh, principles, let's call them lighthouses or guiding lights. Um, the, the head of the Yoga Foundation, Georg Feirstein, said that every night when he goes to bed, he asks himself how well he's lived these principles, and he reviews the day. And every morning when he wakes up, he uh, vows to live them more fully. Like, have I been compassionate to myself today and to everyone else? And usually those of us who are perfectionists and we really push ourselves around, uh, you know, that can tend to come across to others, and I've always been, you know, type A, excelling, perfectionist, so I have to watch this one. So being compassionate to myself, and here I am on a line, and I'm always short of time because I'm doing so much. The lady's taking forever, and I'm going in my head, what the heck is the matter with her? You know what I mean? Right. Can't you be any faster? Right. And then I suddenly remember, Johanna, you're not being compassionate. And 
I developed this expression when I notice something I need to shift. I say, good notice. Good notice, Johanna. You weren't being compassionate. Okay. And then you just shift to be compassionate to the girl. Sure. By the time I get to the front of the line, I say to her, hi, busy day. And she says, somebody didn't show up for work, so I canceled my plans and stayed in to do an extra shift. I go, oh my gosh, you must be tired. And then I'm so relieved that I had the presence to get back into compassion for this girl instead of making a whole scenario to judge her. Yeah, that, so yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's an example about using them as your own checklist, your guideposts. Well, well that, that's, that's, a, that's a very good example, and you said something there that I, I want to emphasize that I think is one of the most important sort of principles that anyone could pick up from this uh, new consciousness movement that I think we're in, and that is this concept of the witness, this concept of taking the broader view and and when when you when you described it as good notice, it sounds to me, and I think you said this in your book, but if not, I'm going to ask you about it. That what what is really doing the noticing is some kind of higher witness, some kind of higher self, where you're sort of noticing that your monkey mind is is sort of re, is overreacting. Exactly. Right. Perfect. Right. Okay. 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 And so, and so, this is this is probably, to me, one of the most, as I said earlier, one of the most important things that we could we could keep in, keep in mind because I tell you I use it all the time, and 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 for example, when you're going through a a new experience, like I was recently, uh, I spoke at a conference a couple of months ago, and. Somehow I got called up to the front, and by by some other trainer, and I don't know if she was if she knew that I also spoke there, and she asked me to sing. Okay, now, which <laughs> I which I thought was sort of funny because most people try to avoid hearing me sing, but <laughs> but I I faked it because I'm pretty you know I faked it and I do and I do have a real a a decent lounge lounge club voice. Um, but that's about it, folks. So, but but that was a good example to me. It's like, okay, well, I'm just going to experience this and have a, ha- and and have a good time with it instead of like freaking out. But but I but to me that that witnessing thing, and I think the two examples we just gave are sort of mundane. Um, but it's so important to move to that to that bigger self, that big mind, and do that good notice. I, I I think that was very I think that's a really good tip there. Yes, thank you. So so let's 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 get into your four Ds a little bit because I, I I don't know I I assume these are original because I sort of I I think these you know other other people put this in different ways, but but you you talk about these four Ds for sort of converting like bad experiences into good ones. Why don't you talk about the four Ds? Okay, I'll I'll give you a brief definition and an example. Okay. Um, the, they, they came out four Ds because I like alliteration. I was an English teacher, you okay. know, okay. and um, they came out as distinguish, detach, dip, and design. And I actually made a jingle out of it. I used to go for my hour walk when I left the computer, and I'd be bopping down the street and going, distinguish, detach, dip, and design, distinguish, detach, dip, and design. Right. Something happens. The first thing is for all of us to have a sense of our optimal me. So I know the optimal Johanna. I know when I'm hell's bells and I know when I'm off. 
okay? So the first is distinguish when something pulls you off center. So distinguish what it is. Like, what just happened to me? Why don't I feel okay after she or he said that? What's, what's going on here? So the first is something happened and you're not in your optimal, empowered self. And you ask yourself, let me feel what I'm feeling. Let me investigate it. What am I feeling? What is this all about? And then the next is detach from it. Don't stay too close to it. Go for a walk to the dishes. Talk to somebody. Do something else. Find some way to disconnect from it so you're not too close to it. Then the third is dip it. Once you've got what happened, if you dip it, and I use the metaphor of having a tart strawberry that you first dip into um, whipped cream. So you dip it into forgiveness. Okay, what can I forgive myself and them for? And then you dip it into chocolate sauce. Um, What can I be grateful to them and myself for? And then you dip it into nuts. What could I make funny about this? And by the time you've gone to forgiveness, gratitude, and humor, the whole thing has been lightened up. And if we're creating the dream of the world that we're in, you've just created something better. You've created your own romantic comedy about whatever just happened. And then the last D is design. Now, you know, we we listen to The Secret and we look at The Law of Attraction and we listen to Wayne Dyer, Wishes Fulfilled. You know, um, how do we put it all together in simple everyday practice? Okay, what do I do? This is in my face now. So when something's in your face, <laughs> you acknowledge, I need a timeout, something's pressing against me here. You distinguish what it is. You see if you could detach from a little bit, dip of forgiveness, gratitude, and humor. And then you design what it is that you really want to create. And um, if you want to pause here, I can pause or I can go right ahead with a, a short example of how I did this with one of my employees. Well, well, I, I just want to highlight something here for the listener that I think is important and that this is one method to sort of do something that a lot of us struggle with which which is when when we get get into that bad mindset an example is road rage i think which is a a serious problem when 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 you have that kind of e- e- emotion anger being built up that you know it's not good i mean most people know that road rage is not good it's and it it does not lead to a happy place. Doesn't matter how how it's resolved, it, it, you know. And a lot of us maybe have our own methods for sort of calming down. But but I think these methods and and when you follow this step by step approach, uh, whether whether you call it the four Ds or you call it something else, I think it it gives you a discipline. It gives you a method for for dealing with it. Now maybe I would not dip the strawberry in nuts. I might skip that step. But <laughs> but 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 uh but the but there's also but it's a it's a really it's it's a really good method. Now let's let's put some sort of uh context on this. And why don't you go ahead now and give us an example of applying yeah. these four Ds. First let me defend the nuts. Okay. Why the nuts? <laughs> because it, uh Uh, You know, communication seminars and uh, growth seminars, they say that if you can shift something painful into humor, 
Yeah. You really have transformed it. Yeah. Do you no. know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm all, I'm with the humor part of it. I think the humor part of it's the most important part. I just don't, I just think I might skip the nuts. I mean, I might. Yes, they're I very might, fattening. I they're know. very fattening. Okay. So well, the, well, let me go on okay, to your uh, context. Okay. So um, I have a hike leader who actually, I just led a weekend retreat and she was the one that I hired to take the lady out uh, on the land. And uh, what happened was years ago, when gas was even worse, I was putting gas in her car and I was pruning her and doing all these extra things for her to work in my retreats. P.S. She needed a letter for Yavapai College, so I gave her a letter of recommendation said she walked on water. As soon as I did that, every time I called her, she wasn't available. <laughs> she, she, got, she got the job of teaching at Yavapai College, plus they gave her free courses. So, you know, it was kind of a number of times I had called her. So I call her up, I need her, and she, she can't do it again. So I got ticked off, you know, and I said to her on the phone, well, you know, I don't, I don't know if you gave me the manual back, but I need the manual back. I have to hire somebody else. What would you do with the manual? And I got off the phone, and I was in the snit, okay? So that was, I went outside, and I sat, and I said, what just happened, Johanna? Why were you so nasty with Roxanne? Why are you in such a snit? Okay, right. so I know when I'm in a snit, and I don't like to live in a snit. <laughs> right, right. So I defined it, and what it was for me was I was really desperate for help and feeling abandoned. And I was feeling, it, you know, after all I do for you, you do this to me. You know what I mean? It right. was one of those who was completely, you know? Right. So then I sat there and I did that, okay? And I really got it, and I felt hurt. I was counting on her. I felt that there's nobody bailing me out here. There's nobody helping. I give so much. So I went and did the dishes or did something. And then I thought about it some more. And I said, okay, let me forgive her. She's a super mom. She's trying to make enough money in the college. And she's trying to advance herself. And she has been on the back burner. So she hasn't expected to need to be available. And every time she went out with the people, they loved her. So she's contributed to me. Right. You know, so I forgave her and I was grateful to her. And then I forgave myself. I said, you know, honey, you're running a single person business and you're all things to all people. Give yourself yeah. a break. Yeah. You know, you just got a little stretched there. Uh, it's okay. Forgive yourself. Be grateful that you have the mind that you can check yourself. You could see what you just did quickly and you can correct this. Yes. So then I got funny with it, and I just said, you know, I was uh, Alice in Wonderland, what is it, the Queen of Spades, or whichever she is, off with your head. You know, <laughs> yeah. you're not going to help me. I, I, after I recommended you, you're not helping me. I gave her a very New York Italian, off with your head, you know. And then I got funny. So then I called her up, because I designed Roxanne, um, is her name. She's staying in with me in Affinity, and she just let a hot from yesterday. Okay, right. and I just did workshops at the Stone Yoga Festival, and she womaned my table selling my books. So, so I just called her up, and I said, honey, you got a minute, and she answered on the first ring, which was unusual. I said, I, I just don't know. I said, forgive me for the tone of my last conversation. It isn't really about getting a manual back. It's about I just felt abandoned. I need, I need help so much right now, and I just felt abandoned, and you are my, my best person, and I was, thought I was pruning you to come and help me, and now after I recommended you, you're never around. 
she apologized. She said, I want to be around. I just have these courses right now. I didn't know you would need me this weekend. And, oh, I'm so glad you called back. And right. let's stay in touch. And I said to her, honey, you're always going to be in the loop with me. And we'll let you be on the back burner now. See if you can clear your plate a little so you can work with me more. And she's done that. Can we always do that? Not necessarily, but you can divine it, in, divine it in your consciousness and send it out to the world. So that was an example of my dipping, what happened between us, of my really getting in touch with, my gosh, I do so much, and how I feel hurt when people let me down. Well, to just, feel that. I'm well, a human being. Right. Well, I, doing, I just remember, yeah. I just remember um, one, of, one of the sayings that uh, I think is one of the, you know, I, it's always in my mind, is Nitschke said, you know, had a book entitled Human All Too Human. And, and we really, it's, it's almost impossible to eliminate our, our humanness, our monkey mind. It's, it's part of being in the world with other people. But the key here is, is to, the, to the extent that we could move to this greater witness state, this, this greater mind, this, this, whole, this more holistic viewpoint, it, it it always it always leads to a better spot because as, because ultimately what what we're looking for I think is tranquility is peace of mind, yeah. and, and when we have these sharp edges when we have these emotional outbursts these angers harbor harbor uh, remorse or or bad bad feelings towards other people it really weighs you down. This is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're talking to Johanna Mosca about um, her book cultivate contentment and some of the really simple principles that she uses to bring the ancient wisdom into our daily lives. I like now to talk a little bit about the earth school which is another sort of principle that I found appealing in your book and because I, I completely agree with it you say uh, I think on your website that we're all students in earth school so it's okay to make mistakes. And it seems to me that that's exactly what we're talking about here, that nobody is perfect. It's even, even, even the perfect, I mean, when you read books about the, about the people that are supposed to be saints, they all sinned. Everyone's got, everyone's got problems. Everyone's got black marks. But it's really the way you learn from those uh, mistakes, those sins, that, that, separates the people that um, rise to a higher level of being or consciousness and those that stay in the monkey mind. So why don't you talk a little bit about the Earth School and what that means? Well, just just what you said, it, it, the, these challenges are sent to us for us to grow into the next level of being. You know what I mean? There are tests, so to speak. So I, I just simply use the metaphor that we're in Earth School uh, and I like to joke and say we're all li living a soap opera. I like yeah. to call my soap opera as I live and learn. Yeah. <laughs> this episode, this is Friday, well, we well, leave Joanna well, on a cliff. <laughs> well, what about the sitcom? So, I mean, I, I think the... I, I think it's it's better pretending that it's a sitcom. I mean, than than a, a soap opera. I mean, maybe maybe there's a, a soap opera comedy. But, yes, a but, sitcom but, is good. But it, but it is it is it is really true that that on many occasions it seems as if you know a sitcom and and it just it just brings to my mind uh one of the uh descriptions that Jerry Seinfeld gave of his show which is remarkable when you think about it and that is there was never a serious part to that show 
<laughs> there was never a serious moment. I mean, which separates that show from, I think, any other show ever produced. There was never any sappy love scene. Every something, something was. It was always funny. And frankly, I think that is a good model, and that also fits into your. I your, totally agree. Your, yeah. You know, you know your four Ds, and and mm-hmm. I and, and I want to um, because you know you've been doing this for a while. And you you have studied the ancient wisdom, and you've read many books and teachers uh, in this area. Where where do you think this whole field is going? And that and that is really this concept of higher consciousness and greater awareness. I mean, do you do you think that people like you, and I will also put me in the category that we're always going to be outliers? you know, in the uh, modern mindset and scientific world, or, or, or do you actually see a global shift going on? Um, you know, in the book I talk about the myths about being human, and I think the world is recognizing them and shifting them. So I think it is global. Um, you know, we come into a world in some religions with original sin. We're not good enough. And almost everybody I know, even the enlightened people, the New Age folk people, they need to focus on getting better. When the reality is we are perfect developing beings. And as we develop something we're doing that's not working drops off and we get some insight and we adopt something else. So we're perfect developing beings, not people who need to get better. And then, you know, the idea that we have to work to overcome shortcomings um, the, the the new consciousness is with, uh, you know, quantum physics that we attract and increase whatever we're all focusing our energy on. And then the last one, you don't have to suffer. We all have to suffer. Life is suffering. Well, Patanjali in the Yoga Sutra says you don't have to suffer. The more aware and conscious you keep yourself, you'll know the type of things that plug you into doing suffering. And suffering is adding misery to what happens. So when something bad happens, if you don't add more misery to it, you don't suffer. You just have the pain of what happened, but you don't have the additional suffering. So these kinds of myths that they, the world is adopting more and more and more and more. There isn't anyone who doesn't know that um, the idea of what you have your intention on increases. The world knows that now. You know, the kindergarten knows it. Um, so I think it, it's, def- it's definitely global. I feel totally good about my life, our life, what's what's happening in the world. And I think the breakdowns and the things we look at that we see that seem horrible, they're all wake-up calls. Right. Right. Well, well, I, I want to, I mean, I've, I've been thinking about this myself for, oh, 20, 30 years. And the the new consciousness, I mean, again, to me, it is a term that sounds pretty cool, but what does it really mean? I mean, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give I'm gonna ask you first to give a definition. I mean what, what you think it okay. means because and first then, of and all, then, and then yeah. I'll go I would take out new. Okay. That's okay. Good. okay. We can call it heightened consciousness or higher consciousness. Okay. It's the opposite it's the witness. It's the opposite of the monkey mind. Um, it's being in your it's being in your divine energy, it's being in your God presence. Okay? So um it was interesting. I, I recently read the book by Joel Goldsmith, The Practicing the Presence of God. And in that book, I just got such a giant aha. Do you know, any time I ever had trouble with somebody, that would have been so different had I been in my God presence, how I would have responded to them. Yeah. Well, yeah. When I responded to them, I was in my ego. 
so the consciousness is being in the divine oneness consciousness. It's being in the God presence. And and I really think it's, I think it's interreligious. It's all religions. It doesn't have to violate your, your uh, Jewish upbringing or your Catholic upbringing to, to get that uh, sense of, uh, you know, a, a Christ-like quality inside of goodness and oneness and connectedness with all of life force. And that's what the consciousness is to me. It's that becomes senior to, I like this, I don't like that, I want to do this, I don't want to do that, this one likes me, this one doesn't, which is all your monkey mind. But a much senior thing is your witness where you can go inward and you can connect to the big picture. And the monkey mind is the little picture, the me, my, I. And the consciousness is when you really connect with the cosmos, you connect with the big picture. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 well put. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna say two things here that sort of spin off of what you said. First of all, one of the problems we have, I think, and this is this is on the religious side of things, is that we come to these questions sometimes with such baggage, with such spiritual, emotional, cultural baggage that that it tends to skew the purity of the principles. Example being that if we come to these to the, these these ideas we're talking about with with what I would call a pure mind, a child's mind, an open mind, the Zen mind, then then try to put the picture together. In other words, then try to make sense, rationalize, reconcile the religions of the world. It's much. It's a much cleaner. It's it's and, and it's and it's a much more it's it's a much more favorable, promising way to look at things. And I and I think that that's one of the things that I'm seeing out there is that we have more people who who aren't satisfied with organized re, um, religions, and maybe it has a lot to do with the ritualistic nature of many religions that they sort of discard them and then they're coming back to these principles we've been talking about spirituality heightened consciousness and then trying to make sense of 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 these religious spiritual yearnings so i think that is it's it's very important and again it's like starting with the witness and then working outward as opposed to starting with the mic the monkey mind and then rationalizing everything after that that's that's one point <clears throat> that i would emphasize the second point is that i would i like this heightened awareness and to me folks this is how simple it is to me consciousness is being conscious conscious of what really is of what reality is and scientists have the same goal that's what science is about trying to understand the world trying to understand reality and it turns out at least i think that as we rise up in our consciousness as we learn more about what really is we're going to find out that what really is is a unified spirit a unified being that god is real and that's and that science will evolve with this realization of course that's just me talking but that's how I, I like to look at consciousness. It really is being aware of what really is, which is obviously one of the great quests of science, philosophy, and religion. Um, so so this, this to me is where things get exciting in this area, Johanna, is that we're living at a time when, when we could talk about these, these topics on the radio, on TV, and there's so many, so many books um, applying these, uh, these ideas. 
so <laughs> now in in your in your book, if there's if there's one thing that you would uh, leave the the listener with that you think is is you know the most important sort of takeaway from what you've done in your work and in your book, what would that be? Well, I'd like to mention the Ten Principles if there's sure. time, just Go right quickly. Ahead. Go right ahead. Practice compassion. Be truthful. Respect what belongs to others. Manage your energy and let go of possessiveness. That will create social harmony. And then to develop personal mastery, create purity and cleanliness. Cultivate contentment. Develop discipline to do what's necessary. Study yourself constantly and surrender it to a higher power. And then to recognize that as human energy beings, we all need to keep clearing ourselves on a daily basis. We pick up stuff. It's like flossing your teeth. We need to keep clearing our energy on a daily basis. So know your optimal self and clear out any energy that gets in the way of having your joy shine through in your sitcom. <laughs> that's that's great. Now those ten principles also you you got those. That's the ancient wisdom sort of paraphrase. They're the called the the five social principles are called the yamas, and the five uh, personal principles are called the niyamas, and they're set forth in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. And uh, they're the first two of the eight limbs, and the Yoga Sutras say that the eight limbs are the way to prevent suffering. The eight limbs I recited at the beginning of the interview. So what we have here, folks, is that we have some practical tips to apply these these lessons from the ancient wisdom. And I, I would recommend Johanna's book, Cultivate Contentment. It is, it's it's not, it's not difficult reading, but she manages to bring a lot of these old sayings, principles uh, into practice. And as you could tell from the four Ds and the contrast with the monkey mind and those ten um, principles that, that she just recited, this is not that difficult. It's a matter of being disciplined. Would you agree, Johanna? I mean, and, 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 yes. and you make the point about how important, and this is really interdiscipline. This is not like totally. a, this is not like a school instructor waving a ruler at you, right? right. This this mm -hmm. this is this is making decisions about your own self and being mm -hmm. and being true to yourself. When are we going to clean up our act? <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right, right. Exactly. So once again, uh, Johanna, thank you very much. Why don't you just quickly tell the listeners about uh, your website and how to learn more about what you're doing with your retreats? Well, thank you, Philip. It's been a joy. Um, I do Sedona Spirit Yoga and hiking retreats. I do small business retreats to help groups. I do life coaching. And most of it is on yogalife.net. And I tell people to remember that yoga is your life net because I couldn't get calm. <laughs> so we do yoga life, Y-O-G-A-L-I-F-E dot net. And then that will take you, the other website for the book is cultivatecontentment.com, where you could download the introduction. I now have the book on an MP3 download and on five CDs that you could purchase. Uh, listen to it while you're driving and your commute. Um, I think that about covers it. And I also have a lodge for rent out here that sleeps 16 people <laughs> that I rent to groups. And that's the contentmentlodge.com. Lots of websites, 
Okay, well, thank Hope you. to hear from you. Okay, well, thank you very much. And once again, pick up her book, Cultivate Contentment. And remember that at the end of the day, all these great principles that we that we read about the ancient wisdom the hindu sayings these the the buddhist sayings the 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 bible the 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 quran all these great things that we read about they don't really mean that much unless we implement them into our lives and cultivate contentment gives us some practical ways to do that so this is philip mirton this is conversations beyond science and religion thank you for listening You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Meriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com.